Hello and welcome to the 23rd episode of the Bat Flip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis. I'm your host, Toby. In today's episode, we are going to talk with Walter McMichael of the Real Fake Baseball Podcast on Friends with Fantasy Benefits, um, where he co-hosts along with Paul Martin. Uh, We discussed a range of topics, including some Dynasty League and Prospect um, stuff, players he likes and doesn't like heading into next season. And then we had the great debate on Adalberto Mondesi and his value heading into next season. We had a blast uh, talking about Mondesi as well as of all the other topics we covered. I really think you'll enjoy it. As always, you can find the podcast on iTunes and other podcast platforms. If you like what you're hearing, please go give us a five-star rating and write a nice review. Tell your friends. Uh, really appreciate when folks leave a rating and a review. It really helps um, spread the word about what we're trying to do with the podcast. Thanks to everybody who has left a five-star rating and a review. It does mean so much. You can follow me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy, and you can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and my fairly dormant blog, BatFlipCrazy.com. Thanks to Walter for joining me to talk fantasy baseball. It's clearly a passion for both of us. Uh, I definitely hope that you enjoy our conversation. Uh, Let's get this party started. Welcome to the Bat Flip Crazy Podcast, Walter. How you doing this evening? Uh, I'm doing all right tonight. I had one of those nights where you're just running around going crazy trying to find something that was moved where you knew exactly where it was. I'm sure you know that. You yeah. you said you were with your, what, 20-month-old child or something. I know I have two kids, so I know things just get moved all over the place. And I didn't yeah. even find it. <laughs> there you go. You know, iPhone headphones are just going to have to... Uh to work for us this evening. Yeah. I I mentioned before the call, my, um, my 20 month old is having a hard time going to sleep, uh, this evening. And so is kind of wailing upstairs. And, uh, so I am outside in my car with my laptop, uh, and my phone right here chatting with you. So this is exciting. Talk, talk about a a dream time right there in the car (laughs) with your laptop. Yeah. I, I had the, I had the wailing kid earlier tonight. It was just, I, I believe you're West Coast, and uh, yeah, so I, I I feel your pain. I feel it definitely. Actually, like being in the car like this, outside of uh, worrying that one of my neighbors is going to call the police. Um, outside of that, it is the uh, the calmest uh, calmest environment I can think of. So um, yeah, so so thanks so much for uh, joining uh, the podcast. Really excited to to talk with you. We engage a lot on Twitter. Really enjoy that. Um, I know you got a lot of a, a lot of strong opinions about things, and so and we're excited about that. And also, I think we're going to talk a little Adalberto Mondesi uh, at the end of the podcast, so people will be uh, will be interested to hear that. Um, before we get started, you want to let folks know uh, where they can uh, find your work. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I now do the Real Fake Baseball podcast, which is part of the friends with fantasy benefits feed. Um, you can find me on Twitter at real fake Walter. I know really original. I, I just wanted to, I, I don't know. I, I made it like a year ago. I, I was very late to adapt to Twitter, but uh, yeah, I mean, just like everyone else who 
now has Twitter, it I'm extremely addicted to it. So, of course, if anybody tweets at me or anything, I I respond like almost immediately just because yeah. we're just addicted to our phones. But yeah, that's that's a completely different topic. But yeah, I <laughs> I am I I've been enjoying my time at Friends with Fantasy Friends with Fantasy Benefits. Yeah, uh, Justin Mason brought us on, and we've actually we haven't been recording too often, but. Uh, I know Paul's been doing some things. Paul Martin at Paul the Martin, my uh, co-host over there, has been has been busy and he's been having to write articles. So we've we've taken a brief hiatus, but we're gonna we're gonna ramp it back up in the off season. Nice, yeah, it's a long season. I found myself uh, falling off in terms of recording. I'm getting over like I had a I had a cough and then I had a sinus infection for like a month and a half. I've been on antibiotics twice and that's kind of slowed me down a little bit but it is a drag like the whole the whole season as you get to the to the end you kind of lose a little steam i think and um you know so that's a grind it really is and and you you get to the point where it's like well this player's just good he should already be on your team and then you're like (laughs) and then and then it's just random random guys like mondesi who's just going crazy and you're like well it's pretty obvious go pick him up even even if I don't think he's going to be as good as he is next year, yeah, own him this year while he's hot, of course. Definitely. It, it, I mean, it, it becomes a lot of repetitive nature. Definitely. Yeah, and there's always those Ryan O'Hearns uh, of the world to kind of, you know, bring bring the intrigue back. So, um, yeah, oh. I'm, 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 I'm tired, but I'm getting my, uh, my last my, – uh, my, what is it, second wind here, last – Last week of the season is so exciting, regardless of what's happening, whether you're losing or winning. I mean, if you're winning, it's obviously a lot more exciting. I'm winning in some leagues. I'm losing and fading speaking, in others. I was but... say, speaking of winning, Real Fake Dynasty, our, our podcast 20-team <laughs> dynasty league, we, we have a runaway champ in the first year. Who and is he's it? He's on the podcast, and he is certainly <laughs> not me. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean uh... – you know, it, it pays in the first year of a, of a dynasty league to go with all uh, 31-year-old known quantities and try to win the first year. So at least you can hold up that one, uh, that one championship. I actually had uh, – I actually invited Walter on here so that he would mention that, so that everybody <laughs> believes everything I say uh, for the remainder of this podcast uh, and many others. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah that's been, that's been a really fun league. Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually jazzed to talk to you a little bit about kind of you do a lot of work on prospects and um, focus a lot of attention on prospects and dynasty leagues. So I'm definitely interested later on in the podcast for um, some of your insights there. This is actually the first dynasty league I've done. And, you know, I kind of went with what I knew, which was the current uh, current group of players that are out there. But I've really enjoyed kind of getting to know. Uh, the prospects a little bit, um, you know, especially lower down in the minor league system, and then obviously trading them to you uh, <laughs> to upgrade in some of the departments on my major league. Yeah, schools. I was, I was going to say, people, I, I know a lot of people say they want to win now and win every year, and you did do that, but it's still extremely hard to just win now. It, mm-hmm. It's not as easy as, because it's like, yeah, sure, you can trade with the lower tier teams, but you have to constantly be beating the other teams that are trying to win now as well in, in trade. It's not as easy as people make it seem. So I I definitely congratulate people that 
win in a dynasty league any year of the of the entirety of the league. It's it, it it's really impressive. It's it's hard to do, and especially with twenty teams, one out of twenty. I mean, yeah, you did a great job this year. I I there's there's no other way to say it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I definitely rode like a second half offensive surge led by having Chris Davis and Matt Carpenter on your team second half and in June was definitely uh, a nice thing to do. So I appreciate appreciate that comment. So let's hop into kind of learning uh, a little bit about uh, more about you as an analyst, some of the metrics, the tools that you use. Um, actually, before we do that, um, you know, we talked a little bit about how I'm doing in one of my eight leagues. I'm not doing as well in, in some of the other ones, but how are you doing in some of your leagues heading down the stretch here? Yeah, I, I don't think I'm actually going to win any leagues this year. I have a, I have some teams that are in like third place, second place, where they're just they're just not gonna they're not gonna make the stretch run. My team faded in TGFBI. I, I think I'm hmm. tied for third now. I'm I was in second like a week ago. It, it's just my my teams are are kind of fading. I, I, I have a lot of good teams, but no, like, I, I just didn't hit on the Blake Snells to carry your pitching or the, mm. those type of picks. Yeah. I didn't, I, obviously I didn't hit on Javier Baez and that can, that can go into where, where <laughs> I like to, what, what I like out of players. I, I think that can transition into that because yeah, I just didn't, Javier Baez, he's just like a he's like a mental gap for me. I I can't figure that guy out. Yeah, but but yeah, totally. I, Fez, I, I think we were messaging about it, and I, I'm really similar to what you look at. I, I like to look at the X stats a lot, just because it's like a it's I kind of like to look at their numbers first, see what they're doing, just look at like things like home run to fly ball rate, just, just pretty basic stuff, and then go into the X stats and see if what they're doing is sustainable. Like, like I know like Christian Yelich, it's like his, his home run to fly ball rate's pretty insane, but the X stats do back it up. And I, I'm going to have a really mm-hmm. tough time figuring out. Cause I've, I've always liked Christian Yelich, but now he's going to be like a first round pick or second round yeah, pick. Definitely. And it, it's, it's kind of tough. Not, not to go too deep into a certain player, but, but certain things like that, it's like 30% home run to fly ball rate. Obviously, in your mind, you're like, this guy is an Aaron Judge, so he's not going to su- sustain it. And I, I think that's yeah. generally good to do. But then it's like the X stats back it up, so it's it's like you kind of – and I was going to bring this up as a, a point that Smata on Twitter said, what's the hardest thing in fantasy baseball? And I said eliminating bias. And – I automatically had that bias in my head that Christian Yelich is not really a first round pick. And I still don't think he truly is, but yeah, yeah. The X stats, it's, it's like a second, it's like a second line of defense. You have like the, the first Mm. one, which is like the actual stats that they have. And then that one kind of tells you what they're doing, like what they, not, I, I hate that it's expected because it's not actually expected. It's like what we thought they should have done. It's like actual. Yeah, like like what we thought they should have done. I it's it, yeah. And yeah, it's kind of like it tries to limit 
for me, I look at it as like a way to eliminate um, or try to identify where luck may be taking place, right? Where either good luck or bad luck is impacting a player when there's a, a decent sized discrepancy between what the actual stat line is or like the outcomes that somebody's getting versus the skill, which is, you know, batted ball, uh, quality. Um, so that's how yeah. I kind of think about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. That's Does I, that. I definitely agree there. I, I, and then the other thing of course that you love and I, I love too, is just looking at like contact and patience, like Z contact, O swing, just overall contact percentage for hitters. And it, it's kind of like you have to do it in a case-by-case basis. Obviously, I would love for every player that I own to have Alex Bregman's contact profile and patience. But it, <laughs> it, <laughs> it would yeah, be a boring game. Th- that's, that's just not possible. So you, you kind of have to analyze different profile types. Like, like Aaron Judge, it's like he's never going to be a good contact percentage. But he swings at so few pitches and destroys pitches when he does hit them that he can maintain the low contact. I think we'll get into this with Adalberto Mondesi later on where I'm not a fan of the, the contact percentage there. But, but yeah, I, I think that that's, that's kind of where I, I missed on Javier Baez because I kind of just wrote him off for his plate discipline and I mean, still, it's so bad. I, I still have a hard time, like, seeing how he did what he did this year. Like, like even even with the benefit yeah, of hindsight, I still don't know how it happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, one thing, one, one area where I think Baez took a big um, – leap was in his um was in the quality of contact that he was making um you know and that's something that I didn't I certainly didn't foresee and I agree I have the same bias that you did but you know you mentioned x stats like you looking at bias I think he has like 31 or 32 batting averages something like that yeah 30 31.9 expected home runs on his 34 home runs and then his expected batting average is actually better than his 294 average he's his expected batting average is 299 so you know that's one of those things where it's like the you just hate the you know you mentioned so taking like a step back for just a second so we kind of dove into like what are some of the metrics and some of the resources that you're using when you analyze players you mentioned o swing so like play uh chase rate the number of pitches outside the percentage of pitches outside the zone a batter swinging at and then Z contact, which is in zone contact, just in case folks aren't familiar with uh, with those terms yet, they probably are having listened to me uh, blather on about them for a while. So you mentioned those two, you mentioned kind of home run fly ball rate, you mentioned xstats.org, which is a terrific resource, kind of, let's say you're, you're analyzing a player, whoever it is for next year, you take a look at the plate discipline, you take a look at the contact, are there any other kind of metric metrics that you'd look at, at for instance, fan graphs? Um, that you're looking at that you really, um, you know, kind of analyze when looking at a player? Not, not really. I mean, I, I just think that you can get so much information on all of that. And with like the X stats, you can figure out pretty much how, how their BABIP and home run to fly ball rate should be based on the quality of their contact. So it's, it's kind of like, hmm. 
that that'll give you the ex babip and all that stuff. So it's it 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 kind of lets you know what yeah, like like you said earlier, what what was luck induced and what what shows skills like Javier Baez this year did not get lucky. It's it's all based on the quality of contact that he's made and it's like his quality of contact has been legit this year. It's it's not luck driven or any of that. It and I I think that's that's the second level that it gives you. And obviously, I guess his his uh plate discipline and approach doesn't matter. <laughs> I guess doesn't matter at all. But yeah. I, I just yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, the thing is, I I think it yeah, I think it it, it does matter. For- at least from my perspective in the sense that like you know from that from his plate discipline you know and and while his contact is okay right he's not like joey gallo you know he's still below average in terms of his in-zone contact rate um he just swings at so many pitches i think there there is you know a higher chance of variance right or like there's a um you know he may go through you got to be patient with a guy like that because he's going to have periods of time where he really struggles and then he's going to have times where he's just off the charts. And I think if you look at Baez this year, you know, he started off super hot. I think he went into a lull for a month or two, and then he's kind of picked it back up here at the end. So you got to be willing to kind of ride, ride that out. Um, you know, and maybe if you play in a head to head league, he may not be, you know, he can be super valuable. Obviously he contributes across the board, but um, you know, you may get him on, one of those long extended rough patches. So I do think that, you know, that yeah, it's, has it's just so tough to see someone who has the sixth lowest contact percentage and the second highest swing percentage among all qualified hitters. It, it's just, it's hard to figure out how he does it. And I, I think that's why I'm going to be hmm. lower on him than most will be next year. Yeah. And as somebody, I can tell you love like process. Like for me, it's like the process is almost better than the outcomes. Like for Bregman, like I just love looking at that batted, batted ball profile, right? Like Bregman is like the perfect example of somebody who is, you know, being patient at the plate, only swinging at pitches that are good to hit. When he swings at pitches that are good to hit, he's making a ton of contact. When he makes contact, you know, it's hard. And it's oftentimes in the air where it's going to do damage. Like he's the, ex- the perfect example. It's kind of frustrating when you have a bias who kind of circumvents that. Right. But is still able to put up these ridiculous. See, see, but the thing is, I, I honestly think that buying bias was, wasn't bad process really. Cause he, he didn't come at too high. Like I think buying Buxton was terrible process. Even if, even if mm. Buxton put up with Javier Baez did this year, I still think it was terrible process. But, I, mm. yeah, because he was like ADP of like yeah, fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like I a think. third to fourth yeah. round pick in fifteen team leagues, it, and I I think that's bad process. But it's like Javier Baez. He went in like the, I think like the eighth round. I mean, I mean, I can check his his NFC ADP. One hundred five on ADP, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I, I remember because I actually put out a, a bunch of tweets at the beginning of the year that were like, I can't believe people are buying Baez at 105. What a terrible investment. Oh, so, no, no, no. Egg on no, my no, face. No, no, no. Personally, I wasn't buying him, but I don't think it was like bad process to buy him. Yeah. Like I, I was 100% out on him. Yeah. Like there was no way I would have bought him. But I, I, yeah. I think 
I think the process was fine because it's like you're buying the tools. That I mean, that's what people are going to be doing with Mondesi. They're not buying the play system. They're blind, buying the mm. tools. And Javier Baez is a former top prospect, crazy power, really good speed. I mean, he's always had like immense bat speed. It's like he, he has a ton of upside. It's But, I I mean, he has his major flaws. And the flaws that he has are the ones that we really don't like. So – I I think it was it was okay process yeah. and the result was magic a magical season. Definitely. Now, do you look at all at like a batted ball profile data on X stats at all? Like, um, you know, whether ground balls, dribblers, line drives, you know, fly balls, so on and so forth, or are you sticking mostly to kind of the expected? Average versus average. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm mainly just show. sticking towards the the average, and like I I think I think sometimes you can get a little too granular, and I think that's just a little too much for me mm. personally. And I I like to dig deep into stats, but I I think that's just I don't know. I I just don't know. I understand that like hitting a dribbler is terrible, but I don't know how how frequently that that can be like used to forecast forward i so i that that's that's part of the problem that i have with it definitely yeah um cool well we talked we've talked a lot about hitters and kind of what you look at what about when you're analyzing pitchers what are some of the metrics that you're that you're looking at there um what are some of the resources or tools that you're that you're utilizing to analyze pitchers. I honestly think that the best singular stat, in my opinion, to look at, and actually Alex Chamberlain posted it on Twitter the other day, is Z contact. Like, it's just a sign of dominance. Like, Mm. if you look at the leaders in allowing the least amount of in-zone contact among pitchers, it, it shows dominance. I mean... You have Scherzer, Verlander, Garrett Cole, DeGrom, Blake Snell, Luis Castillo, Nola. It, it just like – like a stat like that, it just – like when you see that leaderboard, it it just – even though Julio – oh, God. Julio Tehran is 12. I can't yeah, – okay, I, I don't know. I, you certainly don't know this about me, but I cannot stand Julio Tehran. Like I, I looked at it today. I have huh. him in a league. And I looked at the stats that I used that I used him in starts this year because it's like a it's like an auction keeper type thing, and I got like a five something ERA out of him this year in in games that I mm. used them. I, I can never yeah, figure I, that guy out. Yeah, I had I had him on one team early in the season, rode him early, and then I kind of I cut I cut bait. It was a twelve team league. I cut him at some point, and I think he was. Yeah, he's really been off and on this year. I haven't actually tracked him that much recently. Yeah, but, he's uh, one of those frustrating guys to own because you know you like uh, you sit him against the the uh, the good team. He does well, and then so you're like, oh, I'm going to plug him in in this easy matchup. And he yeah, he yeah, you use two so. start Tehran. He gets torched twice every time. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I. That's some quality alliteration right there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and then I, I like looking at O-swing as well, but it it's – I don't know. A lot of times it's just like junk ball pitchers. So 
the, those are the main I, I don't mm. really use the X stats for for pitchers just because it's like mm. I, I always think of have you seen have you seen the the gif of Miguel Cabrera where he just like they throw him three separate pitches and he just hits all of them for home runs and they're all at different spots <laughs> in the zone you, you know what I'm talking about right yeah and it's like it's like yeah even I, I think when I've a seen pitcher that, yeah. throws a perfect pitch if the hitter hits it like it it's gone and it's like I I think that I think sometimes the analysis can like I like I said get a little too in-depth and I I'm not sure how much pitchers can Mm. control quality of contact at least in the middle like I obviously there's there's been extremes like Kyle Hendricks like Dallas Keuchel getting 60% grab ball even though his is Keiko is severely regressed this year, but like, like the extremes, I think they can yes. control it, but I think most of the cluster, they can't. Hmm. One, yeah, one thing I struggle with is that a lot of the expected data isn't necessarily uh, uh, predicted at least year to year for pitchers. So I think it was um, somebody from uh, I think Jonathan Judge, maybe from Baseball Perspective. Bectus, I hope I'm, I may yeah, be watching that. Um, took a look at it was VP. Yeah, took a look at kind of how predictive expected weighted on base average is from year to year for pitchers and found that it wasn't predictive. I think you know, like like you mentioned, there are extremes. You know, in terms of batted ball quality, people were able to keep lower BABIPs, like fly ball pitchers, for instance. Like Scherzer is a good example of that. Um, you know, and then there's a lot in the middle, and it's really hard when you get in the middle. Um, and I think I've struggled with that a lot this year, this year too. Although I do think, you know, there's also pitchers, you know, Nick Pavetta is a good example of a guy who in through two years is really struggling with putting up a really high BABIP. And there's a certain point in time where you're just kind of like, you know, Noah Syndergaard has the same issue. Um, he's just more dominant in terms of like K's or at least was early in his career where, you know, at some point you're just kind of like, is that this, who this guy, who this guy is? is just somebody who's either fastball or breaking stuff isn't good enough um, when it comes yeah, to quality. Yeah, you get that Rob to them, so, Robbie Ray seasons. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's going to be he's gonna be fascinating for next year, actually, because he was so bad earlier in the season. He got injured, was pretty bad coming back, but he's been pretty good towards the end of the year. And so it's one of those things where, you know, I think he was like, ADP over 200 two years ago, you know, and then he, he was lights out, you know, then everybody was up, you know, he's in mid thirties in terms of ADPs this year, like 40 ADP and he's terrible. And so now he's swinging all the way back. It just shows like, you know, year to year when, when we're doing these two early mocks and looking at some of the ADPs, just the year to year fluctuation and recency bias, um, you know, is just fascinating. Yeah. Are you, see. are you in one of the two early mocks? Yeah, I am in one of the two early mocks. We're in, um, I think we're in round 17. Yeah. I've been looking at it and um, it's like, if you sort by ADP, you're sitting there thinking like, what were we thinking last year? Like, that's what I'm yeah. looking at some of these. I'm the, like, what were we thinking? Yeah. Well, it's hard. I mean, the recency, you mentioned like eliminating bias is one of the hardest things to do. And I, I, 
I like your tweet <laughs> uh, because I totally agree. I think that's like half of the battle of what we're trying to do is kind of filter out our emotion and our bias, which is totally natural, right? Like whether it's towards a specific player, because, you know, it's like, like for Luis Severino, right? Like I'm convinced Luis Severino like is on his way to being the next for <laughs> better, right? A high Babbitt pitcher oh, who man. only has two pitches. And then like the last few starts, you know, he's done okay. And, you know, the skills are still there, but I'm like, I'm like, no, like I don't trust this because I was burned so bad. I mean, he's literally the worst pitcher in baseball for like a, like a two month stretch there in July and, and, and part of August, he, he was just atrocious. And like, so now I'm kind of convinced. So I'm like, I gotta be able to filter this out, but it's hard. And like, you know, you look at Joey Votto, Joey Votto is going like, close to 50 ADP this year right after last year when he hit you know the most home runs he'd ever hit you know he was a borderline first round pick so yeah, it's fascinating. yeah it's, ADP is all over the place and you can if you like if, like you said if you eliminate bias you can find major values and you can I mean and if you don't then you'll you'll end up having you'll, you'll end up being the person that is that is owning Robbie Ray because he had a sub three ERA and like 220 strikeouts the year before. So it's, it's, it really is tough, but yeah, Joey Votto. I don't, I don't know. I love Joey Votto coming into this year. And then just like, where's the power? (laughs) Yeah. Well, Hey, Hey, recency bias. He's got like three or four home runs in the last two weeks. Yeah, two or three weeks, he's so. trying to catch up to um, Tyler White. There, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That that would have been a good bold prediction. Who's going to have more home runs? End of. Season? I mean, they're tied. Tyler White, Ty, Luke Luke Voigt, or uh, or, or Joey Votto. Um, yeah, it's it is it's fascinating. Um, you know, and everything seems so definitive at the end of the season too, you know, where you're just like, Oh, I know, I know this guy isn't going to do this again or um, and, whatnot. And, so and I feel it like is fascinating. To, so you have to do that in order for people to, to like pay attention. Well, this player is going to do this. Well, if you, if you're like, if you're kind of in between, it's like, they're like, Oh, well he, he, he doesn't really uh, have a strong stance on it. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is actually a really good segue into one of the things that I wanted to ask you is we are getting towards the end of the season here. You know, what kind of, do you do any type of like end of season evaluation where you go back, look at your drafts or, um, you know, look back at some of the moves you made throughout the season and kind of try to learn from that. Are there, is there any type of postmortem that you do on your teams or, you just kind of try to cut it off, give yourself a little space, space, and start fresh for next. Yeah, season. I I haven't really done too much of that, but I think this year I'm gonna look back and try and look at what I did with all my fab moves, just just to see like mm. what I was able to do, because I I think that's that's part of what you need to figure out as each each individual person is what you're good at finding in season. Like if you can find a power, Oof. if you're good at finding that breakout power bat in season and you've been able to do that year over year, then maybe you can come out of the draft a little light on power and load up a little more on pitching. 
if you if you're good at finding the the pitcher that pops, then maybe you load up on offense and then like move move back where you take your your back end starters. So I I think I'm gonna do that a little more this year just to see where I was able to extract value. But with with like the the mm. end of season like like evaluations of individual players, I feel like there are just so many people out there that put out such good like dollar values and stuff like that. It it's it's just kind of like like that the Fangraphs auction calculator at the end of the season is awesome in my opinion. Mm. And it it's it's a free tool and it's yeah. And to be honest, it's better than what I would be able to do because I know Jeff I, Jeff Zimmerman is one of the ones who works on it. So I like that right there. They're going to be able to put out dollar values better than I will, and I, I will use that as just to see what people produce this year, and then kind of try and use that with. Like the steamer, I I really like the steamer projections. I I like steamer six hundred a lot because mm. you can you can kind of see players who are undervalued just based on playing time. So, yeah, I I don't have like a set process, but I I like to look at a lot of things and take in a lot of information. And then if I see anything, I usually tweet it out or I'll. Yeah, that's usually what I do. I just tweet it out so that I remember it, mainly for myself. But if other people like it too, then there it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I love what you mentioned there about kind of being aware of what your strengths are. Um, you know, in terms of analyzing players, whether you're analyzing them yourselves or whether you rely on, you know, other folks to kind of do some of the analysis for you. I think that is. Um, really sound advice because I, I, you know, uh, like for me, I know that I think I'm better at analyzing hitters. And so that's something that I'm going to think about this year is maybe um, focusing, you know, uh, earlier on pitching because I feel more confident in identifying those hitters later on that might be able to be helpful. Whereas I kind of, I didn't used to, uh, used to do that. So I love that, uh, the idea of being aware of what your kind of strengths and, and limitations are, um, as as an analyst yeah with that with that um, point you know, with that jump... point that's what i kind of dislike about like straight fantasy rankings like at least early on is that someone will be like well i like i want to take nolan arenado over trey turner and it's like okay well that's that's fine you take nolan arenado you like to build your team that way they're they're two completely different team builds like, or someone's like, I mm-hmm. like to take Max Scherzer. Okay, that's a completely different team build than it is with the other guys. It, it's it's so hard to say player X versus player X early on in the draft. Obviously, unless it's Mike Trout versus whoever, you just take Mike Trout. But Or, or like Adalberto Mondesi, no, right? No, no. Like, that's, I mean, di- could... that's different, <laughs> though. If you like a bad team build, you can take him early. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, that yeah. that's that's one of the things I dislike. They're like, oh my gosh, you took this player over this player, and you're like, well, yeah, I like to build my team that way. And it's like, well, you can't really mm-hmm. argue with that because, I mean, there's there's so many ways to win a fantasy league. Yeah, yeah, I was. That's a it's a great point. And I was listening to a podcast the other day. I can't remember which one it was. 
was it may have been a roto wire with James Anderson and Clay Link, but I think they were talking about speed and um, I can't remember if it was them, but they had mentioned like one of them was like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been good over the last couple of seasons of, of identifying speed late. And so kind of being aware of that and maybe that's a situation where you might go with a Trey Turner early on. Right. Or um, you may want to make sure that you're identifying that early speed that you can count on a little bit more than, say, you know, taking a stab at, um, you know, uh, Malik Smith obviously worked out this year, but taking a stab at a guy like him who at least earlier this season looked like kind of a one tool tool guy. Um, so that's a that's a great point. And I think we'll 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 cover that a little later because I, I, I agree with you that how you're going to build your team. I mean, if you need if you know one thing, like you can be flexible at the beginning of drafts in terms of how you build your teams, depending on, like you said, what your strengths and weaknesses are. But like, if you're not, if you're thinking about um, just straight player value and not considering how your team is being built and like what that, where that leaves strengths and weaknesses in your team, I think that's, um, that can create, you know, challenges, challenges down the stretch. Um, You, um, you know, I'm going to flip this to the script a little bit. You mentioned kind of fab and um, I'm really interested to hear kind of your approach to fab in season and in season management. Um, you know, whether you like to be aggressive or not, I know you had this one quote that I thought was really interesting or this, this tweet that you had that was really interesting where you mentioned like, you know, if you want to find out how well somebody's doing in their league, look for people who have $0 of fab or look for people who have essentially lower fab because they're actually using it. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, both, uh, I guess this is multiple questions I'm combining into one, but kind of like, how are you approaching the waiver wire overall? What are you taking in, into consideration? Are you being, are you always aggressive early? Um, do you sometimes like to, 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 to save it for later? Uh, talk a little bit just overall about your approach. Yeah, I, I obviously I, I think, of course, I'll, I'll give the, the cop out answer of it depends. But but yeah. generally <laughs> speaking, I'm you can't I'm, be on the I'm fence, a, Walter. I'm, I'm an aggressive early season fab person because it's like mm. one like especially with like closers because it's like if you can get a closer in the beginning of the season, they can rack up 30, 35 saves as opposed to someone later in the season that you know will be the close of the rest of the year, they might only get you 10 saves. So it, it's like, it's all about, because everybody has, I guess I guess now most leagues are $1,000. I, I know before the standard used to be 100 but I think all my leagues are 1000 And it's all about maximizing like each dollar that you spend. And yeah, like, like I said, if you if you look at, leagues and there are teams with significant amounts of fab left on the table, their team probably is bad. That is especially like in redraft leagues, just cause it's like, mm. that's just, that's just how it is. You, you can't come out of the draft and then not use all your fab and, and win. I, I just don't see how you can with injuries with players that didn't perform, you're just constantly not improving your team while other people are improving theirs. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I, 
I definitely agree that it's always interesting to me to like look at your go back and look at your team that you drafted and then kind of look at the team maybe not end of season right because like last week of the season you're adding and dropping guys like crazy but when you look at it like three quarters of the way through the season you know there's just um obviously it depends on how deep the league league is that you're in but it's always amazing to me how much turnover there is right like you know how many max month you know there's never a lot of max months yeah, like, like i i have you a know ton it's always of, fascinating to me there's I have there's always guys of, like that jeff mcneil on my team and i had I will be honest. Mm. I I followed the minor leagues pretty closely, and I had no clue who Jeff McNeil was to begin this year. Like I have Ryan O'Hearn on teams. It's, it's just yeah. like these these are like bo- like I mean McNeil blew up this year, but these are guys like borderline non prospects, and they're very fantasy relevant now. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it there's it's interesting. There's always uh, there's always guys like when you so obviously so you're generally aggressive early with your bids. Um, are there particular? I mean, we talked earlier about some of the tools and metrics you use. Are there any you know um, particular ones or, or considerations you take when uh, working the waiver wire? Um, you know, during the season, are you generally looking at the same data? Um, what are some of the considerations that you're kind of thinking about as you navigate? Yeah, I mean, those are the wire? main ones, but I, I think the biggest thing is just like opportunity for playing time. Like players with with skills that you like that have an opportunity to play a lot. So honestly, I, I think targeting bad teams like bad real MLB teams is, is a good situation because they always by the end of the season have so many opportunities for, for players to, to perform. Like oh, we'll bring it back to Mondesi, O'Hearn. They're both on the Royals who are terrible. The Orioles, they have VR who's just been running wild since he went there. It, it's just, I mean, like the Blue Jays, Billy McKinney has been pretty decent. Like uh, Daniel Palka on the White Sox. It's, it's just like there's – you just need to look for players with, with fantasy-relevant skills who have the opportunity to play. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, great points there. Um, so we're obviously – so season is coming to a close – we're going to be headed into, um, you know, draft season here in what, like six months or something like that, five months. Um, what is kind of your process um, during the, during the off season? Like, what are you, what are you during doing during the off season to prepare for the upcoming season? Um, after you've done kind of the, the look back that you mentioned, um, you know, just generally about, um, your team yeah so one of one of the big things i like to do is to just like take the name off of a player's profile and just look at it like just look at what they have there and it can that this can this can really help with that eliminating bias because one of the big biases that we have is just a player's name like uh i i know a player will get into but i i looked at his profile coming into this year 
and I eliminated his name, and I was like, why is this guy still a borderline first-round pick this year? Like, I, I get that he was really, really good in 2016 and really, really good when he debuted in 2015, but there was a clear shift in his offensive profile last year, and that was Chris Bryant. And it just wasn't – it. the profile didn't match the cost. And I think if you can do that, you can eliminate the name and just look at their their profile. Like, there, there's definitely benefits to it because it's like you can just – like, I don't know how to fully describe it, but you just, you just kind of – eliminate the name bias with it and and it's like chris bryan is clearly a different hitter than he was when he first came up into the majors like it's 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 completely Mm -hmm. different profile which kind of sucks overall yeah (laughs) it well it doesn't suck because people are overdrafting him so <laughs> you can take yeah, advantage I, of it. I mean, I, I, um, I own Chris no. Bryan in one of my dynasty leagues, and I think I'm going to finish in, like, fourth place. Mm-hmm. And I I fell short in power and counting stats. So it, I could have used him because he was, he was my yeah. first-round pick when we did the draft a couple years ago. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's really hard when players have such a big – shift and if folks don't know what we're talking about i mean um last year starting last year you know people talked a lot about how his k rate had gone down considerably and that he was making a lot more contact well he was making a lot more contact but he was hitting the ball on the ground a ton um and really um and his hard hit rate had dropped considerably too and it showed up in some of the stat cast metrics as well so um, it's a it's a very different profile and one that lends itself maybe to a higher batting average, but um, not much else uh, that you're looking for in fantasy from from Chris Bryant. Um, so yeah, so you're so you're kind of look, looking trying to eliminate yeah. bias by um, looking at players without kind of getting the name bias. Yeah, so to so them. when you do that you know, as well, um, you can also find players who are undervalued in that sense because they don't cause cause there are still players that have like extreme negative name bias, like players that have, that really hurt fantasy owners in other years. Like, uh, I don't know, like, like Jose Peraza, for instance, people loved Jose Peraza coming into 2017 and he was okay, but he, he disappointed based on where they took him. And then it's like, Coming into this year, he went. He fell way down draft boards, and it was, it was like, well, he's kind of the same player that he was before. Coming into twenty seventeen, it's just that in twenty eighteen, he was like properly valued, and then people got a value off of him. So, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be yeah. an interesting guy, uh, heading into next year's draft. It's, it's like a. It, I know everybody loves to say the buy low, sell high, but it's like you can do that within draft seasons. Like I, I, I completely missed on Trevor's story, but it was like the perfect buy low opportunity because he's still a he was still a talented mm. player. He still had upside. Yeah, and it's and it's like he was a second round pick the year before. 
really struggled last year, and then he's just crushed this year, and now he's going to be a second-round pick again. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good example. I was really into story um, in heading into 2017, and I wasn't as – I mean, I was still, like, okay on him. Um, you know, he actually I, – I was, I was okay on him, but I feel like I never pulled the trigger. I didn't own any shares of him um, heading into this season. I think part of it was that I bought in so hard in 2017 um, and felt a little burned by it. So there was that, you know, maybe personal bias that I had, um, you know, that, that kind of precluded me from getting a really good buying opportunity there. And, um, one thing I'll, I'll always hate myself for is earlier this year, like in May, I tweeted out about how stories contact rate was surging up and it was going up a ton and that he was like super close to, this breakout because everything, you know, like the fly ball rate was down. It was like crazy at like 60% last year, early in the season, it was down, I think into the mid forties, something like that. His hard hit rate was starting to return. And I never pulled the trigger in either TGFBI or my other trading leagues and trying to pick him up. Um, and I'm I'll always look back and just be like, man, that was my chance in these keeper leagues to kind of get him while the buying was low. But that's a great, um, a great example. And I like that idea of kind of buying low, selling high in between seasons. I think that's very, um, that yeah, is. Yeah. And, uh, awesome. and a guy this year, this coming year that I think could be a decent buy is Mr. Byron Buxton, who we did not like, oh, depending oh. on the cost, depending oh, on the oh. cost, because he is still a talented hitter. Yeah. I, I still believe that. And if he costs, like, I, I haven't checked where he's going in the, the two early mocks, but I have that open right now. He's going 150 overall. And it's mm. like that still might be a little too pricey for me. But <laughs> if he's if he's going a little bit later than that, I, I will probably take a shot on him just because it's like, He's still a talented player. Like the skill was there for people to think he was a third to fourth round pick in 15 team leagues. He, he hasn't changed. He was, I mean, I just, I think he is a good buy low person, like good buy low candidate. So. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that. Um, I love that concept because I do think, I mean, and, and we talk about it during the season, right? Like, Buy, buy low, sell high, like easier said than done during the season. Right. Um, but, but I do think that your point about kind of taking that mentality into a draft season is, is, is a, is a great one. Um, what are anything else that you do kind of heading into the draft in terms of your analysis? Like, you know, you mentioned like, you know, you trust steamers in terms of projections using the auction calculator at Fangraphs, which is a great tool that Jeff Zimmerman, uh, puts together um, you mentioned the fact that yeah you trust kind of these systems a little bit more than yourself to do this work which um, I can certainly appreciate <laughs> appreciate that a lot there's a lot of smart people doing this uh, stuff out there um, what are some of the other things that you're doing like as you head into drafts is there particular you know strategy that you're um, that you're trying to employ as you head in like do you have your strategy kind of figured out how flexible are you going in 
you know, what do you con- take into consideration as you kind of head you into know, drafts? To be honest, the, the only strategy in a draft is to have no set strategy because you have absolutely no clue what's going to happen. Like, I, I mean, in, in some leagues, it's like, well, you don't want to be completely stuck on, on closers. And everybody knows there's, a, there's that one closer run in your draft. There's always that one where it's like five mm. or six pop off in a row, and you're like, well, I didn't really want to draft yeah. a closer here, but I don't know. Maybe Sean Doolittle's the last real closer I, I really trust to be good. And Great choice. Yeah, I, took, I took him in my, my too early mock. Um, yeah, I did too. Yeah, like 150 or something, which I'd love to get him there in the – yeah, I actually, I actually took season. him at exactly pick one fifty. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, oh, I, really? what are you? Where are you drafting in your um? In I have your draft. Sixth, What's your? Uh, I have the sixth pick. Uh, dra- okay, I have the fifth pick. So like yeah, we're probably apart. yeah same round. There. Oh, yeah. Bright minds think yeah, alike. There we go. Per- per- <laughs> perfect name. We both drafted him in the two early mocks, but but yeah, I sometimes you have to just be like, well. I'm going to take him here, even though what I want to do isn't necessarily that. Um, and yeah, I, uh, the, the other tool I really like is uh, Razball does. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with their, their work, but they, they, they do projection I- like Rudy Gamble does dollar value projections and it's ranked by mm-hmm. all the players by their dollar values. I, I really like to look at that and I, I just kind of like cross reference stuff and it's it, it's like a it's not a perfect formula that I use but I like to just like kind of bounce around figure out what I'm doing and especially with slow drafts I I think I'd be a little I don't I don't I don't think I had a fast draft this year so mm. it, in that in that you yeah. have to be a lot more prepared on the day on the day yeah but yeah you i like yeah. to have a list and cross it off and all that stuff i i still like to do the the hand cross off for the most part but there you um, go put it down yeah, on paper exactly but but yeah with the slow drafts i i'm pretty pretty liberal in my my process i like to like have some names that i want like queued up for the next pick on where I want to go so that I'm prepared if the first player gets taken, the second player gets taken, then I, I know where I want to like pivot on the next one. So I, I, I think it's good to just have a lot, like just like a, a lot of information, but narrow it into information that you feel is valuable. And then on dynasty drafts, I just, mm. I'm all over the place. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Dynasty drafts are like, I've only done the one, you know, for ours, but I remember like going in, I was like, all right, it's an OBP leg league. I'm all over Joey Gallo. (laughs) I can get him around like pick 80 or something like that. And he went like 24th or something. Not really, but like 40th or something like that. And I was like, well, I think I'm going to have to throw this whole like strategy out the window and just, get the guys you want you know like because they could go off yeah and that one it's just like like i i did it to myself too i was like all right i can wait one more round for juan soto 
one more round because that's that's one of my guys. I own him in a couple in a couple mm. dynasty leagues. Yeah, you tr- you made a big trade yeah, for him. I I, I definitely I lost that trade, but I I just didn't even care. I just, you love you love yeah Juan OBP Soto, so. dynasty. League. I mean, you you play the game for fun, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I want to win, but I I think that. Well, I guess I have to tell the trade now. Uh, I think I traded I traded away Jose Ramirez, obviously, uh, a monster, OBP. He's he's still a beast yeah. there. He's, he gives you the steals and the OBP combo. That's really hard to get. Um, I gave up Michelle Baez and my first round pick in the the rookie draft for. Juan Soto, Rainford Salinas, and Barry's first-round pick in the rookie draft. Barry, shout out to Barry Baker, who gets a shout out on like every Dynasty mm. podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and his pick's going to be first overall, so I'll be able to get whoever I want in the rookie draft. But yeah, I my team's not competing this year. I I'm not sure if it'll compete next year. Um, I'm going to try. But it will definitely compete in 2020, in which case it's 28-year-old Jose Ramirez versus 21-year-old Juan Soto. And nice. I don't know. I think Soto is just like the next Joey Votto. Like yeah. I, I think he's well, just an he's, OVP monster. He's been inc- he's been incredible. I mean, for 19, it's just what he's done this year. And like you mentioned, the OBP aspect of it is key because his plate discipline, you know, I'm obsessed with O-swing. And I think like at least uh, the last time I checked, maybe like half a week ago or a week ago, you know, he was among the leaders in the last 30 days in in O-swing, having the lowest O-swing, like under 20%. He's amazing. um, Yeah. Like there's no way to describe how insane he is for being a 19 year old who's played like like 30 games above low a yeah so i i just yeah. think he's he's just like i i am irrational about him i'm irrational about vlad and i'm irrational about acuna i will fully admit yes yeah. well i mean those guys like Acuna has been insane. Like I will, there's, there's, there's probably not, you know, 15 players I'd take ahead of him heading into next year's draft. Um, the potential that he brings and not even potential. I mean, what he's already done, but you know, I put out ex Woba leaderboards every week. Like, yeah, it's just him. You know, uh, yeah, it was it, like literally for like, it literally is like each monthly one for the last four weeks has been Acuna at the top, um, you know, and with the stolen bases and he's been really aggressive on the base pass this year too, which is, you know, a really nice sign. So, yeah, I mean, it's just phenomenal. The young talent, you know, that we kind of have, um, you know, and we've got kind of, we've kind of got delved into this a little bit, but um, you know, already kind of with this, uh, with this conversation and just so, just so we're fair, you know, about our trades. I did, I did trade you, um, Isaac Paredes and, uh, uh, Vidal, Vidal, Brun. what's his name? Vidal, Brun, 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 yeah. A Brujan for, um, 
for AJ Minter, which as AJ Minter pitched the seventh <laughs> inning today, you know, I was kind of like, hmm, wonder if I'll regret that trade. But uh, Minter did get me, did pitch well for a month or so and get me maybe 10 saves. So, oh well. Uh, what can you do? I'll, um, we, you got to admit your, your trade, your questionable trades uh, is subject to those. Um, so let's talk, you know, we've been talking a little bit about the young players, the young talent. You, um, you and Paul, um, your co-host, you guys do a lot of kind of prospect research. You know the prospects that are coming up. Can you talk a little bit about like, what are some of the resources or, um, you know, whether it's websites, magazines, Twitter handles, whatever it is, like, who are you watching in terms of prospect analysts? What tools are you looking at? Um, you know, what kind of scouting, if, if at all, are you doing or are you looking to when, um, when analyzing some of these players, right, who who have um, who haven't hit the big league? Yeah, yet? I mean, I, I listen to a to a ton of po- podcasts like uh the raswell prospect podcast is is definitely one of the best it has uh ralph lifshitz and lance brozdowski who are both in our dynasty league with us uh i don't know if you know that but uh yeah I've, i i know I, I know everybody in our <laughs> dynasty league i can keep track yeah of well i mean we do have some some uh some people who aren't like uh analysts but they're they're definitely active dynasty owners so uh but yeah they're they're really really good uh and then they actually just teamed up with uh jason waddell and matt thompson to start up uh, a new website called prospects live which is just a ton a ton of good information and they're they're like it's like a combination of like real life prospect scouting and fantasy prospect scouting. So it's a, I mean, they, they've already pumped out like four or five podcasts in like the last week and a half since they really started it up. So nice. they're putting out a lot of information. Uh, fang- oh, I like, I like the fan yeah. guys too. They, they do, they do good work and, uh, but, but a lot of times what I really do is I, I just do like a, like a somewhat weekly scrub on fan graphs for like mine, the minor leagues and see what players are doing. What, if a player is hot, I, I read into them. Like, uh, one of the guys I, I found pretty early this year was Fran Mel Reyes who I ended up pick, mm. I, I ended up picking nice up in, there. A, in like all my dynasty leagues uh, when he went on that like Homer binge. Nice. And uh, mm. so, and he's looked so good this second go around. Yeah, yeah, he really has. Um, he's he's been good, and uh, I mean, I I do kind of have kind of worry that he's not going to be a good enough real life player to be a fantasy player, but I, I'm hoping the bat can carry him, but, but yeah, just, but it's like, you can find that free player off the waiver wire. And that's, that's like, so that's very valuable. And like Bruhan was a guy that I, I really liked and I didn't notice that he had gotten dropped in our league and you had picked him up. 
Yeah, I picked I was just going to say like he's a guy who I actually um who was it? I think I I was reading some article that was talking about the best players and maybe the um the is it the Sally League? Yeah, the yeah, SA, yeah, SAL Sally. whatever. Um yeah, the Sally League and his name popped up a bunch. There was a few other guys and so of course I like go into our league like during waiver wires and I'm like typing them in uh, to see if they're available and he came up. Right. And yeah, so I had just gotten him. So I wasn't as sad about losing him in our deal, but I did draft Isaac Paredes in our league. I think I was actually listening to the FWFB friends with fantasy benefits prospect um, pods that Matt Thompson did at the time. And I think he mentioned that like um, he was, um, that Paredes was a guy who the the Tigers had traded for that he really liked in that deal who wasn't that well known, but who, who had some potential. Um, and so I kind of felt bad about losing him in the Minter deal to you just because he was like, I don't, I didn't know a ton of pros about prospects like heading into this year. And so I felt like a little bit of attachment to him, but Oh, well, you gotta, you gotta, it's let okay. go. I, I can, I'll easily trade him back to you. I, I, I think you <laughs> I'm sure you've noticed that I am very open to trading. So yeah, but but yeah. that's that's mainly what I oh and I was gonna say, actually now that you said the Sally League, uh notes from the Sally, John Calvagno, he does really good work too. So mm -hmm. he his article might have been what you actually read. I'm not I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, that might have it might have been that because I do um I do follow John and I check out his, uh, his scouting reports. Like, uh, yeah, I think he did one on O'Neill Cruz, who I also drafted, um, as part of the dynasty league and, and, and traded to Paul. Uh, so for Nick Pavetta and, uh, uh Yasmani yeah, Grandal. Yeah, he, he does so, a lot of work. He um, was really, a guy he was really big on was, uh, Reese Hoskins. That was one of his guys when mm, he was in the, when he was in the minor leagues and, that's a guy that, it, like, I feel like when you you listen to guys that are scouting, they can, like, I mean, Reese Hoskins had all the numbers. And, I mean, he's a right, right first baseman. So, he doesn't really get, hmm. like, you have to really hit to make it in the majors as a right-handed first baseman. I think we all know that. And, but that was one yeah. of his guys. He was like, he's going to hit. And it's like, well... And this was before he absolutely crushed Redding too. He and I, I think that people that go to the games are an invaluable resource for 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 learning about prospects. They can tell you so much hmm. that you don't see from this from the from the numbers. And it's like it's like, yeah, I, I go look at the numbers and then I usually go read up about the player and see what the scouts think about them. So that's, that's normally my process. And then of course, listening to the podcasts, podcasts and stuff, they, they throw out names of players that they've seen that are doing well. And like Jason Waddell loves Vidal Bruhan. So I hope that makes you feel better about it. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it stings just a little bit. Um, thankfully the Rays have so many, prospects that he'll never see the light of day <laughs> just kidding just kidding um cool so 
uh, th- that's, those are some great resources, obviously, to follow. I, I followed Prospect Live, too. I've seen some of the stuff they've been putting out um, at, um, I think it's just at Prospects. Is it plural? Uh, at uh, Prospects Live. Yep, plural is the Twitter handle. Um, and that's a lot of great prospect uh, content that's coming out there. New site, a great plug um, for them and some other folks. So as you enter, as you think about like the, your dynasty drafts, as you head into them, what advice would you give folks like in terms of strategy, you mentioned kind of in regular redraft, you know, the best strategy for, from your perspective is not to have a strategy, i.e. to be flexible in how you build your team and be flexible in terms of how the draft um, rolls out. Um, do you have a similar approach in dynasty leagues or do you take a more, um, you know, do you come in with more of a set strategy? Like I want to compete, you know, in two, three years, I want to compete this year. I want to look further down the road. Do you kind of take what the draft board gives you into making that determination? What is kind of your strategy heading into? I want to compete the second year of the league because the first year Mm -hmm. of the league, you have about, I'd say about 80% of the league that wants to win that year. Would, would you say that's about a safe assumption? Uh, and then... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I play one oh, dynasty. Okay. So. <laughs> take take, take, okay. take I, what I say. I would like to join another one or two just because I, um, I think it's invaluable in terms of like just learning about parts of the game that you miss if you only do redraft, right? Like you may know, know about Vlad and Eloy coming up next year, but, you know, being in a dynasty league really helps prepare you you know, in terms of knowing like who some of the, who, who some of the prospects are that are, um, that can, that can contribute that aren't, aren't, aren't headliners, but yeah, I'm not necessarily the one you want to ask about. Uh, yeah. I was going to say you, you not only only have one, but you joined a 20 team with 20 prospects. So you, you just dove straight yeah. in like, like not even, I love it. Not even like a, just a 15 team one or one with 10 prospects, but yeah. It, it's a it's a very deep league that we we have. Um, yeah, draft bats. That's what I'm gonna say. Just just mm. I know you're gonna want to say, oh, I really like this picture right here. Just just draft bats. That that's all I all I can say. Just load up on bats, build your offense, and then trade for pitching or con- and continuously churn the wire and try and find guys off the waiver wire. Like I, I know this year, like I, I even did it to myself. I was like, you know, I really like Brent Honeywell right here. I really like him right here. And Mm. what do you know? Like two weeks later, he, he pops his UCL. It's, it's just like in, in my opinion, the best way to do it is just build a solid offensive foundation. And then you can, you can find pitchers. Like I, I have Zach Wheeler in that league, and I think I drafted him in like round thirty of a twenty-team league, something like that. It, I, I believe it was a, it was around like round thirty. I, I picked up Trevor Cahill off the waiver wire, who's okay. I mean, my pitching is just awful, and hmm. and that's part of the reason you, you had to bring up Zach Wheeler. Yeah, yeah, you? you wanted Zach Wheeler, but you were being <laughs> yeah. So we we got to give the backstory. So. I ended up giving up Brian and uh, Paredes, I think, and maybe even like a draft pick, like second rounder for AJ Minter. 
I think it was like two weeks earlier you had proposed the exact same deal with Zach Wheeler in addition. And and I had just sat on it for like the week and I was like, give me time to think about it. And Wheeler was doing well. I had actually just done analysis on him saying that like what he was doing was real, but it was before he went on the huge streak. And um, and I already had a ton of pitching. I was having trouble finding roster spots. Like I was at the point where like I was cutting decent players when I was – you know, adding people to the yeah, roster. I think you told me you're um, like, I have enough Zach Wheeler types. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. You just went into the DMS and looked that up. I totally, I totally said that exact same thing. And what does Zach Wheeler do? Oh crazy. man. He's a t- he's going to be a top of 100 yeah. guy this year. His ADP. I, I don't know what it is in uh er, too early mocks. I think it's like 80 to 100. Um, yeah. And Zach Wheeler, Zach Wheeler was incredible. Guy that I, I targeted like I I picked him up off the wire in two of my fifteen team dynasties mm. just because it's like it's a little bit shallower mm. and it's just like he wasn't really rosterable for a contender. But when you're a when you build a team like like that, the pitchers that you're gonna draft, most of them you can drop a couple weeks into the season. And if a pitcher shows any mm. sign, like I tried to. I tried to pedal Trevor Trevor Cahill all this year. Couldn't get anything for him, like at all. <laughs> no, no bites on I, Trevor. I mean, I, I ended up flipping like Junior Guerra. I know I picked him up off the wire. Uh, you could get like like Caleb Smith types. It's just like you can you can build a. I, I know these sound like gross names, but they were all decent guys <laughs> in a twenty team league, and. Mm. Yeah, Wheeler's ADP is 108 in the current mocks. In my draft, he went 79. So, I like hearing um, that. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to Smata, too, for putting these together. I mean, what a what a resource he is to the fantasy community with, like, TGFBI and um, the standings he's put together and stuff like that. It yeah, just, yeah. He's, great. He's, a, he's a funny guy, too. He's, I, I enjoy talking to Smata, and, yeah, he does a ton of really good work. But – uh. Yeah, I, I think just build your bats and then build prospects because those are such a good currency, even if like right at the moment they mm. get a little hype and you don't think they're going to be what all the hype is. Like, just imagine if you invested in Wander Franco, like how much you could get for Wander Franco mm. right now. It's it's insane. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean... I I just think that building that offensive base is the best way to go and then trade for pitching when your offense is ready to contend. Yeah. Cool. Good advice. Or or just do what Very you did and win year one. Year year one, exactly. Here's what you do. It's OBP, you draft Matt Carpenter. That's it. That's what you do. You win the league. I mean he pretty much um, won you the league, yeah. it seems. <laughs> Well, him, him and Chris Davis, I kid you not, like there was a period of time when they were both just on absolute fire. And like I went from like maybe like middle of the league in home runs to I think I might be top of the league or second in home runs. I can't remember, but um, they just went on fire. And, you know, like I, I built a balance team with like um, and, and I knew that going in. I knew that I was sacrificing some of the prospect stuff. Cause I didn't know the prospects. Right. So it's like, I know your weakness. You know, I could, I could know that like, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I knew who Eloy Jimenez was, and like I knew who Vlad Guerrero was. You know, I knew who those guys were, but until I got into the dynasty, I wasn't as familiar with some of the prospects. And it actually really has increased my enjoyment of kind of the just everything, like because you have a better sense of who who guys are. And I love the trading aspect of it because I'm I pulled off a bunch of trades because I was like I'm going for the win now. And so even if they're minor upgrades for me, like if I can, you know, I'm, I'm one of somebody who believes like if you have a chance to win a league, you know, you don't want to be sitting there at the end of the end of the league being like, man, if I had only made that trade. So I'll wheel and deal and, and I'll even lose a deal in order to like put myself in a better position to win. But like I lost some, you know, my, I did not have a deep system to begin with and I lost a lot. So like <laughs> I'm like bare bones. It's going to be hard to get get trades without uh, this off season without selling some like real legit. Uh, well, major it's, it's always good. If um, you, if you, the, the good thing about dynasty leagues is that if you didn't trade away all your picks, which I don't know if you did or not, like uh, just like my first and third <laughs> round picks, <laughs> there's always an influx of, of talent the next year. Like even, even with the second or third round pick, you can still find a, a good prospect if you if you put in enough work to do it yeah yeah i um thankfully i I think i swapped second rounders with um uh with uh with brandon and and donkey teeth i think they have have a i don't know if i'm getting the names right but um you i got it yeah i switched second rounders with them when i traded uh domingo herman um uh, to them. So I should have a better second rounder, but yeah, it's going to be, you know, I think I can compete again next year, probably maybe the year after that, but I need to start adding some talent and maybe not trading it away. But anyways, people, people don't want to hear about my, uh, my, uh, fantasy fantasy team. Um, uh, so, um, we touched on this a little bit, um, you know, and this is, I joke around, uh, I was joking around with Pat, um, uh, Pat D, uh, Patrick Donovan, um, from, uh, fantasy world order. When I had him on the interview that this is like the job interview question, but like, you know, what do you, do you see, what do you see as kind of your biggest weakness as an analyst? You've talked a lot about self-awareness, which I think is like, uh, an, an awesome concept in life generally, but then also in the fantasy context, you know, what, what do you see as kind of your weakness? What are you trying to, um, you know, kind of, uh, uh, what do you see as the as your weakness, and then how are you drafting or um, playing the game to kind of compensate for that? Well, I mean, I I'm just I don't have any weaknesses. That's that's definitely clear. No, it's it's <laughs> definitely <laughs> you've clearly eliminated bias from no, your game. It's, it's definitely the I can't just ride the wave of a player. I just feel like uh, he's going to become a pumpkin mm. on someone else's team. And then they turn into Max Muncy mm. and are winning people yeah. leagues. I, I just I just completely miss on those players. I'm like, oh, why would I add Brad Keller at the end of the year? He's he's terrible. Mm. And then it's like, well, he has a three ERA and 140 innings. It's like those kind of players yeah. I just completely I don't know, I just disregard them. And I need to stop. I need to stop doing that. Yeah, because he he does have a one one point three whip though. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know if well, it's sustainable. It's obviously not, and that's why I don't own him. 
but someone owns him and yeah. got a three ERA out of him. And it and then totally. like a guy like okay Ross Stripling, it's like even though his his numbers like everything looks sustainable is like I just didn't buy in in the beginning because I'm like well it's Ross Stripling, and it and that like like that's that's the thing it's the name bias it's like I I have to not just assume that they're going to turn into a pumpkin again. Hmm. Totally. Yeah. That's always the hardest thing is like, there are certain players that you just doubt, right? Like, because it's not a name because it's not for whatever reason, um, you know, and, and you always remember the ones that you miss too. Um, you know, so cool. So you do have a weakness. You are self-aware. I am self-aware. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Well, let's get into – we've talked a lot about kind of draft analysis, getting ready for next season. So let's turn our attention to next season. We're doing uh, what I like to call the fresh-baked and hard cookies. Uh, as we all know, fresh-baked cookies, soft cookies are by far the greatest cookies in the world, uh, and hard cookies are the cookies that – um, are always disappointing. So your fresh baked are three players that you think um, that you love heading into next season. And then your three hard cookies are um, folks that you think are going to underachieve. And I'm guessing that potentially at the end of this conversation, there may be a great debate or a battle Royale about Adalberto Mondesi. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say, I, I feel all that. Right, coming right. Well, I will give you, but um, who, who I will are give your, you uh, my, my quick hits on them. And then uh, you can, you can chime back in on what you think about them. These are my, I guess my fresh baked ones. Um, yeah. And I agree the fresh baked ones. Although I will say hard cookie. Have you had like the, the like chewy, like the <sighs> Don't chewy do it. chips ahoy. Don't do Those it. are by <laughs> far the worst things of all time. Uh. Well, I'm talking like, you know, this comes from an experience I had, um, very emotional experience where I went into a bakery and I saw a peanut butter cookie and I was like, that looks like a good peanut butter cookie. And I ordered the cookie and I sat down with the cookie and I bit into the cookie and it was hard (laughs) and I didn't even want to eat the rest of the cookie. You know, I'm in a bakery, right? All these great baked goods around. And of all the things that I could have chosen, um, I chose a hard peanut butter cookie. And I just thought about, like, what type of a role model am I to my children? You should have uh, given it, you given it no. to them. You um, would have eaten it. <laughs> yeah, totally. They would have. My little one yeah, would have just devoured it. they would have thought it was the best thing of all time. Uh, you're, you're right. That's one good, that's one of the great thing about children, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, they'll they'll love they'll love yeah they're like oh my god this is so good um, all right but so the, the, <laughs> my my three fresh bake would be okay first I I'm gonna say Eloy Jimenez and Vlad is getting all the pub and rightfully so but I think in redraft Eloy is the guy that I'm gonna own he like steamer rest of season line slash line for this year is two ninety three twenty four four ninety two and that's that's like really mm. strong. I, I mean, the OBP is not very, not very good. I, I think that's actually, I think that's shorting him because in AAA this year, he's just so good. He doesn't need to walk. He just destroys anything mm. they throw to him. And, 
And that's that's good for a 351 Wobo, which is the same as Corey Seager, Trevor Story, and better than Chris Davis, mm. Andrew Benatene, Acuna, and Bogarts. Just to name a few players. Nice. So, I mean, scouts love him. Projection systems love him. I, I just think he's going to be a monster and just mash. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on Eloy. His ADP in the two early mocks. Um, he's been drafted in, it looks like, seven, eight of the nine leagues. He's got an ADP of 111.9, so essentially 112, um, which I agree. I think that is huge value. He, in my league, he went 94th, but um, I'm right there with you. And, and you actually mentioned something I think that's really is a great resource for folks is actually looking at the steamer projections for these players. Um, you know, when you're thinking about what they might do in their first season, it's hard to get better than, you know, um, steamer or other publicly available projection systems that you might find on fan graphs, because even with Soto, you know, I think Soto, the fab bids on him were huge, but steamer loved him, you know, coming up. Um, and so, you know, uh, that's a great, it's a great point that you make there just about ways to kind of identify prospects that may turn out. Um, yeah. I, wow. I just think it's like when the analytics like them and the scouts like them, it's just like, I I don't see a reason not to like them. And uh, it's like, obviously there's a huge error bar on those, those projections, but yeah, I just think he's going to be a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, my next guy I put is uh, Ozzy Albies and, I know people are going to talk about the bad second half, but I'm going to say that even though it's it's been hasn't been the good fantasy numbers that we want, he's shown improvement. And in September, he has a 30% O-swing and a 92% Z-contact, mm. which is really good in comparison to his season-long numbers. And he, he almost has an even walk-to-strikeout rate. Um, and he's shown more power this season than – I think even the most optimistic people thought he had in he has 23.8 X home runs. So I think once he mixes mm. together his ability to have good plate discipline, make good in zone contact, hit for power. And obviously we know he has a speed, even though he hasn't shown it in stolen bases. And I think a lot of that is because he had a ton of extra base hits this year. So I don't know. I, I think that, people are kind of underwhelmed based on the second half and I'm going to be buying them. Okay. And his ADP in the two early mocks is 42, 41.9. Here's a quick question for you. And this is just like, we're not doing any analysis on this. I'm just curious. So here are some of the guys that are going uh, a little bit after Albie. So he's 42 right now, followed by Whit Merrifield, Reese Hoskins, Noah Syndergaard, George Springer, Carlos Carrasco, Joey Votto, Eugenio Suarez. Do you feel like that's the right group of folks for him to be in? Are you taking him um, above all those guys? Yeah, I. Um, what are in my your drafts? I accidentally drafted him over Wit. Um, I would take Wit over him just because he's showing. Okay. Yeah, the stolen, stolen bases. bases. Um, but I think that's a that's the right grouping. Personally, I okay. I mean he's shown cool. He can hit low twenties home runs. I I think he can steal twenty five bases and 
And I think he's going to eventually be a 300 hitter, even if it's not next year. But I, I think it's it's in the range of outcomes. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing we forget about Albies because he was up last year for a decent chunk of the season. I mean, he's... Yeah, 21-year-old. So, yeah, He'll so. just be 22, the start, start of the new season. So, um, yeah. Great. Um, all right. So we got Ozzy Al- Albies. Uh, Eloy all right. Jimenez. So the last Who one is Yohan Mankata. And this is just because he's shown that massive zone contact and contact spike over the last month while maintaining his patience. Uh, I just I just think the upside is immense. You, you look at him and he's just like built like a monster. Like when he hits it, he, cr- he crushes some home runs and he, he's been pretty inefficient on the base path, so I'm not sure how much stolen base upside he, he has, but I don't know. This is a former number one overall prospect. Sometimes they don't fully pan out for a couple of years, and he's still extremely young and showing improvement, so I, I'm going to be buying him. Yeah, and I, and I, I was uh... – um, I'm right there with you. you know, I, it, a lot of it depends on team construction. You know, he, um, he leads the league, I believe, in like in called strike strikeouts, like called strike threes. And so I think that's going to be an issue he needs to address. Obviously, he's got a decent approach at the plate. That Z contact increase I like a lot too. I think he's somebody that you need to be able to kind of take in a little bit of, um, of the average you know, there's a lot of average risk there. So if you've built a team with a little bit of an average base, he he can help you out. And you may or may not be able to hear that helicopter. Again, a reminder, I'm outside in my car and there is a helicopter uh, going going by. Uh, you may or may not earlier have heard my cat crawling on top of the car um, as well. But um, so Yohan Moncada is another one. His ADP is 141, 140.7 to be exact. Um, he's going in a grouping, the names around him, uh, the five above and below him, Mike Moustakas, Nomar Mazara, Kyle Hendricks, Gregory Polanco, Ahmed Rosario, uh, Sean Doolittle, Hugh Darvish, Jonathan Scope, Ross Stripling, and speaking of our good friend Jeff McNeil, uh, Jeff McNeil is going on average Ooh, that's, 140. That's wild. Which is that interesting is, to me. That's... It is wild. I believe that's what we refer to as recency bias. Not that he shouldn't necessarily no, he shouldn't be, be going, going there, there, but like, um, oh, wow, this is fascinating. Oh, well, he's only been drafted in one draft, but Rowdy Tejas, um he's 147th. That's so fascinating. Uh, well, uh, the only reason why I mentioned McNeil is like Stephen Piscotty is going after him. He's the player after him. And I just think like Piscotty's done it a few years and um, has just been crushing it this year. So, I don't know. It's all interesting. We'll all probably look foolish with whatever we say now when we look back uh, next year. So let's go on to um, your uh, hard-baked cookies, um, the three guys that you think right, are going to so disappoint the, next year. I, I think we established before this fans are going to hate me. But uh, first of all, Javier <laughs> Baez. We have. Um, he's going as the 2021 20, overall on average in these early mocks and it's like yeah yeah i just can't 
like all the all the problems that we had with Javier Baez still persist. I mean, we've talked about him earlier in the show. I mean, the quality of contact is there, but it's just I just can't I can't buy him at that price. Yep. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat for you next year. We did talk about how the X stats support it, but, um, you know, uh, congratulations to everybody who owned him this year. I'm sure a lot of you won your league, but, um, you know, it's, it's one of those situations I think that you mentioned where, um, you know, uh, sell high, buy low in the, in the off season heading into the draft. And he's a guy I'm not going to be in on either. I mean, when you hear the names that are around him, uh, the three, since we're, since we're higher up in terms of ADP, the three going before him and after him, Chris Sale, Freddie Freeman, Aaron Judge, Corey Kluber, that's four actually, not three. Uh, and then after him, Jacob deGrom, Clayton Kershaw, Giancarlo Stanton, yeah. and Trevor Story. Yeah. So those so are just some, some folks, good players. Um, you know, that are going around him. Yeah, for sure. And he's definitely proven, you know, with this year that he can do that. It's just a matter of whether um, he'll be able to sustain it. And we will find out next year, whether that's possible. All right. Who else are the Cubs going to hate you for Cubs fans going to hate you? Yeah. For? Chris Bryant. <laughs> it's just, this is the, this is what I'm talking about. The name value completely boosting up the ADP. I'm, I mean, I, he's a, power hitter that isn't hitting for power with a bad shoulder it's it, I, I believe his x stats were 260 x average with like 13 home runs it's i don't know it's like unless you think that he's going to like this year has just been his shoulder being hurt and that he'll be completely healthy and back to what he was there's there's no reason to take him this high. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I was I mentioned to you before we started, I I was out this year on Bryant. Um you know, number one because I don't think he earned that two ninety five average last year. I think his X stats for last year, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I believe it was in the two seventies in terms of batting average. And he's really not he doesn't steal a ton of bases and you know, he's really, I don't know, he, for me, like, you know, he, he kind of falls in this three category guys, which I think are, there's a lot of them, right? You've got like, um, especially at the top of the draft, like a good example might be like a Reese Hoskins, though I like Hoskins a lot more, but like a guy who, you know, maybe not going to give you like a ton of great average, he'll give you home runs and RBI, maybe some runs, but like in some of the key categories, like average and stolen bases, probably not going to help you or like the powers just, you know, with Bryant, like you mentioned, it's just slightly deficient since that 39 home run season, Um, you know, and in OBP leagues, it's slightly different because, you know, his walk rate um, is strong, but I agree. There's just, there's too much risk there and not enough recent performance. We're going on two years of not so great performance and he's going 26th. Um, All right. So my last one, um, I, I, I kind of told you about this. I gave you like a preview and I, I think I'm just going to be fading most of that whole like ACE tier. 
Um, I mean, you you have Scherzer going in the first round. I I just don't think I I want to like. I know Max Scherzer's awesome. He he is awesome, and he's showing no signs of decline. But he's a 34 year old starting pitcher with over 2,000 innings on his arm. It's the decline is going to come, and we're not going to see it coming, and it's really going to hurt. Uh, the next one off the board is Chris Sale, who's going 16 overall, and he's going to throw less innings than Clayton Kershaw, who everybody complains about won't throw however many innings next year. And he's had like two or three DL stints for a hurt shoulder. That's not really one I want out of my ace. Corey Kluber, next 20th overall, He's he's got the – like. I mean, he's with the bad fastball. His all of his uh, peripherals have declined this year. His he's giving up a ton of contact in the zone. His swing and strike rates way down. I I just I'm not really a fan. Degrom, I will buy. I I like a lot of what I see out of him. Kershaw, I'm probably gonna fade this year, even though I've been a Kershaw truther. I just see I, I'm seeing some chinks in the armor, even though he has like a two six ERA or or whatever he has this year. And that's a bad Kershaw year. Nola, I just I don't know what it is with Nola. Like he he relies on a lot of good quality of contact and for a pitcher and it's like he just doesn't have the strikeout rate I want that high. Luis Severino, you think he's terrible. Um Justin Verlander, I think he he's a buy he's he's a buy. I mean if Scherzer was going at this point, they they've been like the exact same pitcher this year. Mm. Um, yeah, I I mean at this point, I would I would I'd be buying Verlander, Snell. It's like he has a lot of a lot of signals that he's gonna he's gonna regress. He's he's had, I mean he's mm. really really good, but it's like people are gonna see that one nine ERA and go crazy. And then Garrett Cole, I would I would buy because I think he might actually have the best peripherals out of any of these guys we've talked about. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I agree with your, your Verlander analysis. I think um, obviously he's old. I got a lot of, a lot of uh, innings in that arm, but he's been, he's been really strong and he continues to kind of hang out in that, mid thirties range that he was in heading into this year too. I feel like he might've been a little bit back, but he just really hasn't shown any reason to, um, you know, not be in on him. Like, um, and, and like you mentioned, the peripherals are really strong. So this kind of begs the question though, when you think about how you're heading into drafts next year, you're fading a lot of these top guys. So obviously you're going to go hitters early, you are you comfortable having you know Cole Verlander um, as your ace? Does that mean you're investing some you know the third, third, oh, and fourth pick? Cole some pitchers, my ace, I'm you know, happy. yeah, I'm perfectly you're fine good. with that. And cool. And honestly, I'm, I'm, I feel like I would be fine with even like a, a Grinky or a Paxton as my like lower tier ace. I really like Paxton mm. too. I wish he would pitch. Interesting. Best, best oh, of yeah, luck to sure. you. No, I'm just kidding. I, I could see. 
I can see Granky. I mean, Paxton is a guy I've owned him the he's last two years. It's been, he's one of those guys I'm going to have to get over the bias. Yeah. Because of the, I mean, the injuries, right. They're pretty, they're pretty consistent to be honest with you. If I was the Mariners, I'd be, I think the Mariners are in a tough place living in the Pacific Northwest here. Like I would be looking to deal Paxton while he has some value. Cause even when he pitched this year, he wasn't, as consistently good as he was. Well, he's gotten um, really unlucky last year. Um, he, he has. He's had some. Yeah. yeah, and he and some some of that luck was starting to turn in the second half before he got re-injured. So. Yeah, I I think he I think he could be the yeah the discount ace next year that people will be like, well, why weren't we taking Paxton in that ace tier and. I know people have been saying that for years now, it seems, but I, I, I truly believe it will be. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I mean, Granky, I saw a tweet earlier today that he had essentially the same season this year as last year, despite the drop in velocity. So he's an interesting guy there. He's going 57th Paxton 58th. What's interesting to me about Paxton though, too, is that he hasn't really fallen at all. I mean, I think he's at or even above where he was going last year in drafts. So that's kind of interesting just given the season and the, and the injuries that he's had here late. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's get to it. This is the great debate, the battle Royale. We are going to talk about Adalberto Mondesi. We're in different sides of the, uh, of the spectrum here on Mondesi in our love for Adalberto Mondesi, the most fun player in fantasy baseball today. Um, so I'm going to give it, I'm going to turn it over to you, Walter, let you kind of explain some of the reasons why you doubt the greatest player and the most fun player in fantasy baseball, why you're such a downer. Um, so please begin. And then I will explain why, uh, I like him, even though I really don't like him at some of the prices that yeah. he's going at. But go ahead, uh, you tell you tell us why well, you're, he went why you're out thirty nine overall in my way too early mock draft. So there's that, um, yes, which is, is that thirty nine overall is crazy. I I can I can I wish I could like explain that but i can't even explain that where where you guys have been taking him i i think is is fine i i don't think he's gonna end up going there i, yeah, I, I got him at 77 go, i think yeah. he's gonna go higher than that in general his adp is seven, uh, 74 uh right now in the, in the in all of the mocks combined including the 39 in your league which i agree is yeah so pretty so high he's going yeah like 60s, 70s, 80s. Okay. My my main problem with him is just like we are the the fantasy community is completely buying his upside. And for for what it's worth, what a lot of people have been saying where it's like he has like a 1540 floor or whatever, he should not be going as low as he is, if you actually believe he has a 1540 floor. If, if somebody believes he has that, that is Trey Turner. I mean, obviously, discount the batting average. Yeah. Maybe Dis- without the batting average <laughs> and the counting stats yeah, potentially. But, but in that range, so that'd be what? A 
third to fourth round pick. So inside the top 50 to 60 as opposed to 77. The the way I, I look at it is it's like, what are the reasonable outcomes with him? And he's a guy that currently is, he has a 26.5% strikeout rate and a 3% walk rate. And yes, he makes very good quality of contact and he's lightning fast. But you're essentially saying that he's going to be able to make enough contact to get on base at even just like a horrible like 280 clip and then run at an all-time pace. And one of the guys I, I think he's he's pretty similar to is uh, just like in people were buying him at a crazy price was Jonathan VR. And if you look at his stolen base attempts and you I, I, I did this last week. I didn't. I didn't redo the math, but uh, mm-hmm. I prorated his 2017 and 2018 to match his 2016 plate appearances. So in 2016, he attempted 80 stolen bases. Uh, 2017, he attempted 48. In 2018, he attempted 47. That's VR. That's, That's VR. That's just stolen base attempts. And if I did it percentage wise, just just like a a rough percentage. I, I didn't really look at stolen base opportunities where people are in front of them and stuff, but just like singles, doubles and walks and 2016, it was 35% of the time he ran 2017 is 27, 2018 is 26%. So it was a clear drop off in his attempts. And that's not even counting him just becoming a horrendous hitter in 2017. So that's that's pretty much my case. It's just like there's so much risk in the profile that he could just be an awful hitter. And I don't think that's that risk is being accounted for. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't disagree with you a ton in the sense that I think the challenge for me, and I am one of those folks that actually thinks his floor is pretty high and I'm going to, kind of go into my analysis of of Mondesi and what I'm thinking but you know like I do think that he can bring in a top 50 value but it is that it is the profile that you mentioned right the walk and K rate that it just makes me concerned whether it's because of the bias that I have against guys with that profile or not but just about the possibility for um for it just going poorly but I think that his context and his environment is actually really conducive to limiting that floor, which I'll get to in a second. So for, for Mondesi, like his plate discipline has been bad throughout his career. So his career in the Major League Baseball, this is actually his third season, 473 plate appearances. He has a 38.8% O swing, so which is bad. That's 8% worse than league average, which is 30.8%. This year, it's down to 36.9%. Uh, but over the last 15 games, and if you look at the rolling average graph, it's trending downward. It's at 32.7%, which is a much different story, right? Like, um, you know, if he can get it in the, you know, 33, 34 range, that's very different than uh, where his career average of close to 40 is. So 
we have seen some improvement there. We've also seen some fairly steady contact. Um, his uh, Z contact is at 80.8% over his career, 80.3% this year. It's at 85.1% over his last five games. So tilted up a little bit, but you know, 15 games is a very small sample. So it's hard to kind of give too much credence to that. Uh, the career number is about 5% less than uh, career average. And I think that's why the O swing is so important is because when he swings at pitches inside the zone, the contact isn't atrocious, right? It's not terrible. But when you add in the fact that he's chasing pitches outside the zone and not making contact, it goes back to your point that you made early on about him having one of the worst contact percentages overall um, in the league. So I think that O swing is key uh, because the Z contact has been fairly steady at where it's at. Um, quality of contact, we talked about 37.6% career hard hit rate. This year it's at 43%. And over the last 15 games, it's at 46.9%, which is ludicrous. Uh, the major league average is 35.4%. So throughout his career, he's actually hit the ball harder um, than uh, on average. If you look at the quality of contact, he's got really strong barrels per plate appearances, 7.2%. That ranks 46th in baseball among batters with 150 batted ball events. I posted a tweet um, uh, earlier, which actually like got a ton of likes because Royals fans love Mondesi even more than like fantasy baseball players do. But um, he uh, he has a higher ba- uh, barrel rate than like Bryce Harper, Freddie Freeman, a bu- uh, Reese Hoskins, a bunch of power hitters that we've seen and. And exit velocity stats kind of stabilize fairly quickly or they become reliable more quickly. Um, So that bodes well. He ranks 36th in baseball as well on average exit velocity all uh, in within his home run launch window. So all 12 of his home runs have come within 22 and 36 degree launch angle. He's averaging 95.1 miles per hour uh, between that. And he's surrounded by folks like Trevor Story, Max Muncy, Robinson Cano and Justin Bohr there um so those are like some of the reasons that i really like him the hard hit rate is above average at 42.4 percent so is the hard hit pulled fly ball rate which i think is really key for him um they're both above average his 12 home runs this year come on 12.7 expected home runs over his career he has 18 expected home runs and 473 plate appearances um you know his home run per fly ball rate is slightly above league average 14.3 percent but his expected home run for five ball rate is at 17.1%. Um, in terms of his batted ball profile, like um, I actually really like digging into the X stats batted ball profile data, but um, you know, and some of it's good. Some of it's bad. 26.3% dribblers, which is actually over 10% better than last year, but it's still higher than major league average at 24.6%. And dribblers are like really bad ground balls. Um, that have a very low BABIP. Um, his hard drive rate, though, is at 16.1%, which is a 7.5% increase from last year and way above league average at 10.7%. And then his pop-ups are slightly above league average at, at 18%. So he's making a lot of poor contact, but then he's also making a lot of really good contact. Um, and so I think that, you know, there's some some uh, recipe for inconsistency um, there. Um, and then, so all told over, um, 
this season, 272 expected average on a 287 batting average. Um, although, you know, expected stats models uh, oftentimes uh, struggle to account for speed. In terms of his speed, now I apologize in advance, everybody. I'm going to do some rate stat work here, but he's stolen 26 bases in 20, uh, 264 plate appearances or 9.8% of the time this year with a 310 OBP. Over his career, he's got 40 stolen bases in 473 plate appearances, which is one, uh, which is an 8.5% stolen base rate per plate appearances, and that's with a 274 OBP. And one of the reasons why I'm going to highlight that is because over his career, he has a 274 OBP, which is terrible, but it's also about where Steamer puts his OBP for next year which I think is, is important because like looking at what a likely outcome may be, maybe looking at that larger sample of his plate appearances at 473 with a 274 OBP and at 8.5% per plate appearances. So if you were to prorate that stolen base rate over 600 plate appearances, it's 51 stolen bases over 500, it's 42 stolen bases. And over 400 plate appearances, it's 34 stolen bases. And that's the lower stolen base rate, not from this year, but looking at his overall body of work at 473 plate appearances. Um, and so, and Steamer has him, his OBP for the rest of the season at 283. So slightly above that mark. So if we're taking his lower stolen base rate, which aligns with a lower OBP, those are some of the numbers that we're getting. Um, you know, and I think a lot of it actually comes down to how many plate appearances you think that he's going to be able to get. Um, so for home runs at his current home run per plate appearance over his career, um, it's 3.2%. Again, this isn't the expected home run rate, which is higher, um, but the regular home run rate is 3.2% of his plate appearances end in home runs. That would get you 19 home runs and 600 plate appearances, 16 home runs and 500 plate appearances, and 13 home runs and 400 plate appearances. For runs, he's got 62 runs in, 400, in those 473 plate appearances. That's a 13.1% run percentage um, with that 274 OBP. Um, and that's also with 59% of his plate appearances coming in the number nine spot in the lineup, which, again, I think one factor we can't control for a ton is where he's going to bat in that lineup. Um, so for those runs, that would be 79 in 600 plate appearances, 66 in 500. 52 and 400 for RBIs. He's got 40 and 473. Um, and uh, again, 59% of the plate appearances coming in the number nine spot at that rate. He's looking at 62 RBI and 600 plate appearances, 52 and 541 in 400. Um, and so if we take his steamer batting average of 246, which is the lowest one of the publicly available projection systems, his 600 plate appearance projection using those same rates at a 274 OBP with the same rate. So we're not acknowledging any improvement that he might make. You're looking at a 600 plate appearance mark of 246, 79 runs, 19 home runs, 62 RBIs and 51 stolen bases. I call this the Whit Merrifield line because it's kind of like Whit Merrifield without the batting average um, with maybe more speed and a little bit more of a home runs. Um, and just for, for, for sakes, uh, Whit Merrifield has 675 plate appearances, I think this year as the batting first. 
Um, so more than 600 is possible. <laughs> um, over 500 plate appearances, 246, 66 runs, 16 home runs, 52 RBI, and 42 stolen bases. This is kind of your uh, Whit Merrifield uh, exact home run and stolen baseline with a slight devaluing of batting average and um, counting stats. And then his 400 plate appearance, 246, 52, 13, 41, and 34. Um, you know, this is, uh, you know, not that good. And so I talked about the contextual issues. I love the environment. Ned Yost obviously gives uh, runners the green light. Whit Merrifield has led the league in stolen bases this year. His glove plays well at shortstop. All of the defensive metrics rate it uh, pretty highly. So that's not likely to kick him out. And then the organization has a history, uh, whatever you think of it, of, of playing sub 300 OBP guys for years on end. So that may not be a huge concern. Um, and so I see very few instances where he's going to get sent down or pulled from the lineup. Obviously, the Royals have done crazier things like signing uh, 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 Escobar again this year and playing him for 600 plate appearances or whatever they have. So, um, so if he reaches that 600 plate appearances, even with the 274 OBP, assuming no improvements at all on that 473 plate appearance sample that we have, to work with. And if these rate stats stay the same, you know, that's definitely a top 50 stat line. Um, the 600 plate appearance one similar to Whitney Merrifield again, I don't know. It's probably about the same value as Merrifield just because batting average Merrifield's batting average is so, um, so strong, but it'd be interesting to see like, uh, what, um, what some of the, uh, uh, what some of the projection folks say, like um, even getting like Rudy Gamble's thoughts on Razball, you know, looking at steamer and what they're going to put out for next year is going to be super interesting. Um, and then, the, so I think like the question, you know, is, and I think you kind of called it out, Walter is like, okay, if you really believe that he's going to do this, right. Like then pull the trigger. And I think that's the major question is like, you know, what you mentioned that batted, you know, it's not a pretty, profile and so the question is do you trust him enough particularly like if that's where he's lining up so say he goes top 50 and you're deciding between him and you know Joey Votto Eugenio Suarez Xander Bogarts Vlad Jr. Matt Carpenter Anthony Rendon Patrick Corbin Zach Granke you know can you pull the trigger on him there and I think a lot of it comes down to team construction. Um, if you are going to go there, if you do trust that, if you are willing to take that, and I don't know if I am, to be honest with you, I think I'm looking at him in the 60s and 70s range. If that is, then you need to be able to construct your team around him because you can't expect that he's going to hit 287 next year. You got to believe the projection system when it comes to his batting average, and that's like 255 to 246. And I don't think you can pace out what he's doing to 600 plate appearances now. But um, it's definitely sets up some team construction issues, like picking him in the too early mock. It was nice because now I'm picking up guys like uh, Paul DeYoung, who I know can hit home runs, RBIs, counting stats. Okay. Average, but you know, I've kind of cleaned up and stolen bases because I've added a couple other guys like Lorenzo Kane. So I don't know. It's going to be super interesting. 
Um, I just talked for a really long time on end. I apologize, Walter. Any thoughts based on what I just shared? Yeah, I mean, you had a lot of good points there. Um, I I definitely see the upside, and I definitely see the stolen bases. I just I think that there is a a sneaky outcome where stolen bases is his only positive category Mm. and where he's essentially like, yeah, I guess like 14 to 15 home runs is like decent when you, when you say it's coming with all those stolen bases, but it's not a positive and that Royals offense is just horrific and (laughs) he's not going to like, like you're saying, you you're saying he's gonna have like a 280 OBP, right? Yeah. Isn't that that's what you're saying? Like 274 how, is his career rate. Yeah. Yeah. How many runs do you think someone with a 274 is realistically gonna make? And even I, I get what you were saying with the pace, but it's like that pace is also including this ridiculous run he's on that we're we're admitting is not possible. For him to sustain yeah well i mean with the with the obp so that obp 274 is in those 473 plate appearances in those 40 473 plate appearances with that obp he he scores on 13.1 percent of his plate appearances so essentially like with a 274 obp one out of every two times that he gets on um he is he's scoring a run um, and I think one thing that like I would love to to get some research on is for guys who steal bases, you know, um, how much does that bump up their run percentage? Right. Like, let's say you took an average runner with a 274 OBP. What you know, what does that run percentage look like compared to Mondesi at 274? Because so many of his singles or even his walks, which is very rare, uh, turn into doubles, you know, or even triples. Because, you know, I think Whit Merrifield has the most stolen bases of third base this year by a landslide. But Mondesi's fairly close to being second in that department. So, you know, that I think is the one thing with his, his really bad OBP is, yes, it's really bad. <laughs> but how often does he get into scoring position without before the next batter actually hits a batted ball. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely see that. And that, that can, that can, I would assume that does help him. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, I just, I'm just wondering like uh, how much does it help him? You know, how much would, does it help those guys? I would guess it helps a lot less than the general public would assume. Hmm. Like I, I like, like when people, still frequently quote well he's so fast his BABIP is supposed to be high it's like yeah well not not exactly yeah uh, I'm not I I don't fall into that camp because like for instance I'm not not saying you I'm saying yeah the general the generalities with speedsters Mm -hmm. like I I feel like there are certain things that get out there and then it's like stuck in people's brains because it's been said so many times yeah no, no, yeah, I, I think that's a great point because, like, Mondesi has a decent fly ball percentage, right? His 
career fly ball rate is like 38.6%. It's above league average. He's not D Gordon, right? He doesn't make the contact that D Gordon does. And he's also hitting the ball in the air a lot where it doesn't really matter how fast you are, you know? So yeah, I agree exactly. with you wholeheartedly that I think the BABIP right now is, is definitely inflated. Um, yeah. It's just a question. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing is it's like, he's going to be in scoring position, but then he's going to have what Alex Gordon hitting behind it. I usually, <laughs> I usually don't like Hey Ryan O'Hearn. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I I like Ryan O'Hearn as much as the next guy. But if he's your three or four hole hitter, your team is bad. Yeah. Like well, I, I just think I just think that kind of lost in all of it is where we're kind of buying a guy who's been hitting like seventh for the Royals in the a lot ninth. of games. Yeah. Ninth. Fifty nine percent of his uh his plate yeah, appearances have come so far in batting ninth. Like the nine hole for the Royals. It's like, I don't know. It, it just, it just all smell. You, you, I don't know if you, do you play DFS at all? Like daily I fantasy? Do, I can't. I can't. Oh, I live in can't. Washington state, so I can't play DFS. Yeah. It's one well, of the states well, that doesn't let it. Well, it's, it's like one of those times where you just like feel like it's like the bad chalk is there and you're kind of mm-hmm. like, you can just feel that it's going to yeah. like blow up in people's faces. And I just have that, that feeling mm. with Mondesi, it, but I, I see it. Like I, when I see him hit and I see him run and it's like, wow, he looks amazing. And like a lot, like I can see the upside. I, I truly can. And I think that if he fell to like the bottom end of the range on these, I, I might think about taking him. But I, I just think the hype machine is already getting to him. And it's, it's just going to – like, this is an early mock and he's going that high. Just wait until the extrapolation yeah. people get out. And <laughs> tell the you – 600, The 600 plate appearance pace, people. Yeah, just wait Myself until I included, get out right? of it. Yeah. No, 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 no. You're, you're no. just factoring in regression. Yeah, no, no. I know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just playing around. Because I do do that, like, where I'll be like, you know, so-and-so is at 470 plate appearances. If you pace that out to 600 plate appearances, this is what you get just because I think it gives people a good sense of like what the season line line is. But like, I know there's folks who are like, this guy's had 50 plate appearances. If he continues this, you're like, "Mm, I don't think that's how it's going to work. I think it's, I think it's fine to extrapolate. If it's like a 450 plate appearance sample and you're like in 600 plate appearance, it would have been this. That's fine. You, you have a, you're you're most of the way there but when it's like it right now it's it's not safe like i i was talking about acuna's like because i'm i'm just gonna go bonkers for him next year and redraft Mm. i mean his pace is like 36 home runs and 21 stolen bases while hitting 290 like i'm i mean that's yeah that's like one of the top guys in baseball Definitely. Yeah. So I, I'm going to go crazy for him, but, but yeah, back, back to Mondesi. I see the upside. I'm just not going to be investing at, at the price that he's going. I, I think people have gone crazy. Just out of curiosity, like, and you don't give like, don't say like 73 ADP of 73, but what, what range are you looking at him? 
what range do you feel comfortable getting him in? Is it like the 80 to 100? Is it 60 to 80? Is it 1 to 5? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely 1 to 5. No, I think yeah. I think like 90 to 100, like right in that range. Okay. I, I still feel like I would – I don't I don't know. Yeah, yeah, probably just, uh, just inside the top 100. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I get your sense, like that feeling that something's just a little off, you know, for sure. Like something could blow up here. And I think that's what holds me back from actually investing a top 50 pick in a guy who, you know, like I think if you look at the numbers, there's a very good case for that to actually happen. And the question is also like how much value do you actually get at him investing that type of a of a pick, although it's hard to get, you know, to return that much value and any guy, the higher you, the higher you draft them. But I mean, um, you could just, you could just wait and take Roman Quinn later. That's actually my, right. that's actually my boy. That's your he, strategy. He is. I actually picked him up this last week at TGFBI for steals. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he's like, he's doing similar things to Mondesi. I, I mean, he has, he has way less power. He, yeah. But he's he's not like a D Gordon type power. Like yeah. he'll get you. He he should get you like six to eight home runs in a full season. But uh, like in a full season, this is like a forty to fifty stolen base guy because he has nine stolen bases and one hundred and eighteen plate appearances. Yeah, well, and it's you know a guy that I've thought about actually going through the early mock drafts, and I haven't done a deep dive on him yet. But he's a guy like Ahmed Rosario, right? Do you want to invest? in Mondesi who's got, you know, yeah, 473 plate appearances overall, but essentially 300 plate appearances, you know, at his current skill level, which has question marks to it. Um, do you want to invest up, uh, you know, 50th pick in him, 60th pick in him, or do you want to wait until pick 150 and pick up a uh, Rosario who's shown progress as a hitter, who's been stealing at a very high rate um, in the second half this year, you know, those, you know, those I think are the questions you got to ask yourself because you're going to need a guy who, who gets stolen bases, who's not going to crush you in power or other categories. And there aren't a ton of them. And so I guess it's a, a question of team construction, right? And what you're, what, how the graph draft falls and what you're comfortable doing. But I mean, we're not going to get to the bottom of this, obviously. It's well, going to be fascinating to see. Oh, go ahead. The, the honest answer is if it's just a, single league and there's no like overall prize like there was in tgfbi just punt stolen bases <laughs> no, uh, seriously yeah. i i did that in I, a league this year and i'm like i think i have like seven points in stolen bases just mm. just punt them i know i have such a hard time punting in you, categories you you i'm always going for like 12s or 15s and everything so but but um, the thing is it's like you can get like 14s and 15s and stuff and you just get your seven in that category yeah yeah it's, no it's true it, and it's, it's true and it's like you don't have to pay the premium stolen bases yeah. are a premium cost definitely well uh you make a great point there um this has been a, this has been a fun uh fun conversation overall going into the Mondesi stuff. It's going to be fascinating to see how this develops as people dig in deeper. Um, as we get closer to drafts, how high is the helium going to make him 
um, go. I think it's going to be one of the storylines of the off season for fantasy. It's been exciting and kind of fun to like delve in with you and get the different perspectives and um, analysis on where he might be. So uh, this is going to be fun. Um, anything else that you wanted to add before we wrapped up? It is very late there on the East coast. Yeah, it's getting um, late. I'm, yeah, I'm going to be dead I, at work tomorrow, but I yeah, apologize it was, for destroying your, uh, your, your Wednesday. It was, it was definitely a fun time. Just follow me on Twitter at real fake Walter and you can get anything you need from me there. Definitely. Definitely give Walter a follow. He is a great, uh, person to follow. He, the podcast that he and Paul do over at friends with fantasy, uh, benefits and previously, um, on other networks is great. Definitely check that out. Um, Walter, thank you so much uh, for joining me. This has been a really fun conversation. I've really enjoyed this. I've enjoyed being in leagues with you and kind of the back and forth um, of our conversations about players really appreciate the time and you staying up till about 1 AM on the East coast. Uh, So thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thanks again. And yeah, it's, it's no big deal. I'll see. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, you you have you have children, so you will survive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they're finally sleeping now, so I'm I get I get my nightly sleep. They're finally in their own bedrooms. It is wonderful now. Sounds good. Well, I gotta at work tomorrow. I have an all day training, and I uh, need to be at my office at six thirty. So early rise too. <laughs> We're both in the same boat. Um, all right, Walter. Thanks so much. Um, uh, it's been it's been awesome talking to you. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. That is going to wrap us up for the 23rd episode of the Batflip Crazy podcast. Uh, thanks again to Walter McMichael of Real Fake Baseball Podcast and Friends with Fantasy Benefits uh, for joining me. Uh, we had a great conversation. Really enjoyed Um, talking with Walter. I know it was a little bit of a long podcast this time, but um, we had a a ton of fun, um, and I hope that came through in the podcast. Um, As always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, if you've enjoyed other podcasts, uh, definitely go to iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Give us that five-star rating. Leave us a nice review. Really appreciate uh, folks listening and hope that you'll continue to listen. I'm hoping to put out... um, a bunch of these interviews as well as some uh, pieces uh, kind of wrapping up the season and looking forward to next season over the next few weeks and months. So definitely look for that. Got a lot of plans for the off season. I'm going to try to put together a draft guide with uh, player capsules on the top 300 uh, players heading into next season, uh, going into depth on those. It's going to be quite, uh, quite a, uh, an undertaking, but I'm really looking forward to that, delving in, hopefully learning something from this last year and incorporating that into uh, my analysis for that. Going to continue to generate content uh, both here on the podcast uh, and on Twitter and other social media platforms. I hope you continue to engage. I've really, really um, enjoyed this year. Uh, It's been awesome uh, to interact with with everybody, to get the podcast started, uh, to get... um, Uh, some really active conversations going on Twitter. I've just really enjoyed it. Hope the end of the season is treating you well. Um, Hope you are uh, getting close to wrapping up some championships if you haven't already. 
Uh, definitely best of luck the rest of the season. Enjoy these last few days of baseball. We're going to miss it when it's gone. Best of luck with all your fantasy baseballing and be kind to one another. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be right back.